0: So awesome, man. So I've actually been watching a lot of your videos, listening to some of your podcasts as well and love all of it. And uh, I guess one, one question I had when I was kind of getting introduced to your content is what got you interested in the Myers-Briggs personality types in, in the to begin with?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. It, I mean, it kind of happened in a I mean, I guess for anyone, it sort of happens accidentally. Someone was just telling me about it. Is that, well, I, you know, I probably had heard about it a lot before, but my brother one day was like, oh, me and my, me and some friends were talking about Myers Briggs and we think you're this type. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So in the back of my mind, for it was like months afterward, I was like, I should look that up. You know how sometimes you, you like have a question or a topic that you want to look up later but you don't get to it for a long time so sure <laughs> sure yeah so that's how it was for me with that and finally i was like okay i'm gonna check it out and s- take a test online and it came up with infj and that was the type that they had told me that they mm. thought i was so You know, it might not have meant much, but because it's not like they were experts or anything, but (laughs) that, yeah. So, but, but that to me at that time started the spark of like, oh, maybe there's something to this. At the very least, it's like in a casual way, maybe there is some kind of pattern that people can recognize that is actually there. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So then I just started getting more and more into it and uh specifically started to watch youtubers who talked about myers briggs and it it still is a pretty small niche, but back then it was like really, really small. like there weren't any big channels, like the biggest channel had maybe twenty thousand subscribers and had been on there for like mm. eight years so it was a lot of really small YouTubers talking like very personal, making very personal like almost confessional style videos talking about like everything that was going on in their mind and and uh, like very raw, real YouTube. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was really attracted to that and uh, started to do YouTube videos that were in that vein, kind of tangentially related to Myers-Briggs. And then at a certain point I was like, I, I think I'm a natural teacher. So I was like, I want to mm. start teaching other people like the basics of this thing that I barely understand myself. Like that's <laughs> sort of, yeah, that's sort of like my personality, um, is to learn something for five minutes and then instantly want to start teaching about it. So that made me have to learn more and more. And so then I started taking an online class and, uh, yeah, so it was almost like it was accidental and then I had to learn more by necessity.
0: Mm. So, did your did your YouTube channel help? You, you mentioned that there's it's kind of a bigger realm now on YouTube. Has your YouTube has your channel helped make that a bigger presence of people who talk about Myers Briggs stuff on YouTube, or did it just kind of happen organically while you were doing it?
1: I th- I mean I think it's a little bit of both because what my channel started to get a lot bigger when I did comedy sketches, and that was a great gateway for a lot of viewers to come in who didn't necessarily want to watch videos that were more teaching style. Mm, um, mm-hmm. So, or, or more serious videos or more introspective videos, people want some entertainment. And uh, I think that kind of brought it into the rest of the niche, you know, a little bit of a trickle-down effect. Right. And I think it also made comedy a bit more, um, palatable in that niche. And I wasn't even the first one to do it. There's another YouTuber, his name is Bogdan Jakobets, and he started doing these comedy sketches. And so I saw the trend was there and no mm. one else was doing it. So I was like, I need to get on this trend as well. And uh, it was a re- and that was a smart thing to do. So, you know, people just like to laugh. People like to laugh yeah. at, th- at themselves and they like to laugh at everyone they know. And I think, it, you know, Myers-Briggs is a good way of getting like a shorthand for people and so people watch these sketches and they're like, oh, this type is just like my brother. This type is just like my husband. Mm, yeah. And uh, yeah, so the, that's, I see comments like that all the time. So I think that's why it has such a, a broad appeal, even though it's a really niche topic. Yeah, no, those
0: comedy sketches are a great way to introduce people to the topic for sure. Can you kind of explain what Myers-Briggs typology is for just in case for people who may not really know about it?
1: Yeah, well, it comes originally from Carl Jung came up with, uh, he wrote a, a book called Psychological Types. And in the in the, uh, the back of the book, he he outlines what the types are. He came up with eight types and those are based on, um, what he called cognitive functions. And there are eight cognitive functions. So each type has a dominant one of these functions. And, um, there four of them are Judging functions like how we make decisions and four of them are perceiving functions how we observe the world and You can either Observe the world through sensing or intuition which is basically concrete or abstract and you can make judgments based on feeling or thinking which is Feeling is feeling is not just emotion. It's like value-based decisions like is this good or bad? do I like it or not like it or Uh, thinking which is like logic does this work Um, and then it can either be introverted or extroverted introverted being subjective like does it have to like does this make sense to me do I value it Um, do I perceive it etc or is it extroverted which is more objective Um, so like does this make sense to everyone else does this like actually is this actually what's going on or is it just what's inside uh what's internally going on basically it's introversion versus extroversion and um so then myers and briggs came along and they made the types the 16 types so they they uh came up with this idea of everyone having well Jung had talked about it but they fleshed it out more because it's actually Jung's uh writings are kind of Uh, not complete, like they they start theories, but then don't flesh them out entirely. So Myers and Briggs did that, came up with 16 types. So each of the eight types, there's two of each of those original eight types. Um, So that's how they came up with 16. And so that's what, you know, when you see INFJ or ESTP, those are actually giving you a code to the cognitive functions behind it and you know in a in a shorthand you can see like you know if someone's an nf type that means they perceive the world in an, through intuition um that's what the n stands for uh which would be the abstract and f is feeling so they make their judgments their decisions through values rather than logic mm. so yeah so that's like the, even though I, as I was saying it, I was like, this might be way too complicated for a one-on-one <laughs> kind of explanation. But that's like, those are the basics. And I think sure. it's a bit, I, I started with the original like Jung and the cognitive functions because mm-hmm. a lot of people think that it's just like dichotomies, introvert, extrovert. And like those are separate things, like especially the J and P at the end of a type, like that's its own dichotomy but it's really more of a code for the cognitive functions you have which are really the more important things to understand and that's that might be you know an advanced level course that might be the 204 uh (laughs) class you know
0: no i think it's good that you pointed out though because that's that's what that's the thing that struck me the most when i first got into or started learning about uh myers-briggs and Mm -hmm. typology is that it's not just like this magical theorem that doesn't really make sense, but you know, like oh, this like you're saying, like this type is, means this. It's actually trying to explain a deeper truth about people. Yeah. So I think that's kind of what you're getting at there. And actually, I didn't know that Jung had eight types to begin with. I only I, I kind of thought that this was coming out of his theory about extroversion and introversion. I didn't know that he had already kind of mapped out eight types. So that's really yeah. interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, so it does all like, it seems like the introvert extrovert thing was his big, like that was his bedrock for the rest of it, you know? Yeah. And, um, but yeah, then he was like, Oh, but we also have these functions and they're either introverted or extroverted. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's interesting cause you can, that where he describes the types is very short and it's very easy to get through quickly. And there's even if you search on YouTube, there's a guy, who narrated them all, um, which is a great resource. So mm, anyone, awesome. anyone can, sh- yeah, get get the rundown on Jung's eight types. So
0: that that's interesting because it makes me feel like there's because Jung's a really respected psychologist. So it seems like there's some pretty strong founding for this theory. But I do know that a lot of people are kind of. Skeptical of the Myers-Briggs stuff and there's a yeah. lot of stuff online about how and I've even known people who tell me Oh, it's it's can be helpful just like uh, any Facebook quiz can be helpful So do you feel like there's a that there is some sort of solid truth in this or is it pretty much the same as like astrology? Or what do you think?
1: Yeah, I think it's I think you should be skeptical But I don't think that it's on the same level as astrology because the big difference is astrology I mean, I'm not into astrology and don't believe it. So I might be misrepresenting it, but it's it's sort of like, you know, when you were born and where you were born determines your star chart, which determines like what's going to happen in your life and your personality. Whereas Myers-Briggs is trying to say like, you are like this, like you come prior to the typing and we're trying to describe patterns of how you make decisions and how you observe the world. And Mm. so I think that's, I don't think the, I don't, if you are really getting into Myers-Briggs, there's no correlation at all. Uh, It's not, it's doesn't work the same way as astrology, but I do see how someone who just goes online and takes a test and reads a personality profile and it's like, yep, that's me, is basically the same as a horoscope. So there is Mm. some, yeah, so there's some truth to saying it's like astrology, but that's only on the surface level, which honestly is how, you know, that's as far as most people get. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think that there is something to it and it's interesting with Jung coming up with these, like I need to read more of the full context historically because he was mm-hmm. responding to other psychoanalysts like Freud, cause they were all talking about personality and personality types. Mm-hmm. So he was coming mm-hmm. up with his own, uh, theories in order to I think he was even sort of marrying two other systems in a way Um, And when you and it's like not that scientific what this the psychological types but you know Jung is a incredibly intelligent uh, thinker and was a psychoanalyst who saw thousands of clients and so he knew like He knew people You know, and so Mm. he was trying to describe patterns that he saw and it wasn't scientific. But so when you read his descriptions, they're very like uh, up to interpretation. And I think that's sort of how he meant for it to be like you, you have to kind of learn it for yourself and learn the interpretations very, very subjective in a way, Mm. Um, which leaves a lot of people. Dissatisfied because you would want some kind of objectivity for everyone to be able to say yes. This this mm. person is exhibiting these patterns, which we can describe as this type. But unfortunately, we're not we're not really there because if you spend any time at all looking at different people, different I guess you could call them experts in typology they all like differ on how they type certain celebrities, for example, like there are many mm. different websites that have like a celebrity database of different types. And you can find celebrities who are in different places. <laughs> so like, they type them differently in different sites. And a, like a good example um, would be, a lot of people typed Stephen Colbert, for instance, as an ENTP mm. and then he had an actual Myers-Briggs, uh, practitioner, like type him and got INFP, like a totally different Mm. type. Mm -hmm. And, and so then everyone's like, Oh, I guess we have to revise our stuff. And then it's like, people go back and they type him again and they're like, Oh yeah, now I see that type. So there's still the, you should be skeptical because it's like not everyone's seeing the same patterns, but I think people see enough of the same stuff to think that there's something worth continuing to figure out with it. Yeah, that's really
0: interesting. I think I saw a video where you sort of talked about how it's, it's a little more complicated than you might think and how it takes some time to figure out how to type yourself. Maybe
1: even, um, yeah, that's the hardest one. Yeah. Mm. Because okay. you, you, can, well, you can't see yourself uh, accurately. You know, you, mm. you, your brain is wired to protect yourself from yourself in a lot of ways. And so you will think a lot of times you operate in the opposite ways that you actually do. Not always. Like sometimes we can see parts of ourself. But for instance, the dominant function, which is the one that I often use the term autopilot. It's like what we're in Mm. all the time. And that's Mm. why you don't see it because it's, you don't think it's special. It's just like, this Mm. is what I do all the time. Why would I think that's my type? And a lot of times people are more likely to see their lower functions, like what we would call the inferior one, which is, um, the one that you're actually trying to repress all the time. Okay. You might you might see that one the most clearly and say, oh, that's actually what I do all the time. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, it's difficult to type yourself and it uh, takes a lot of, it takes a lot of like self work and humility and ability to catch yourself on your own BS a lot of times. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so what do you think is the advantage of knowing your type? Theoretically, assuming this is, <laughs> this has any validity to it, you know? <laughs> um, if you know, like the, a lot of your biggest problems come from your lower functions. So you have four cognitive functions, two, you. I mean, everyone has thinking, feeling, intuition, and sensing. But you're going to prefer one of the judging functions and one of the uh, perceiving functions over the other two. And that's what causes the problems is that you're kind of imbalanced. You're, Mm. you're favoring uh, half of your abilities, half of your cognitive functions. And theoretically, this causes recurring issues in your life, especially with the dominant function versus the inferior function because they're, mm. they're, they're linked together. If your dominant function, for example, is extroverted feeling your inferior function is introverted thinking. So you're always mm. trying to repress your subjective, internal logical decision-making process because you're in autopilot making decisions that are based on the values of everybody else. Um, mm so that's like an example and that would that would manifest itself in kind of a recurring problem of not knowing who you are not being able to make decisions on your own and then when you finally do have to make a decision relying on your own internal logic then you freak out and you like mm. do it in a really awkward way that you know you might like burn down all of your friendships over it like that kind of thing where you just don't know how to use it because in a way you don't feel responsible for using it. You feel like Mm -hmm. you should just be able to go on autopilot in your preferred functions all of the time. So when you know your type, you can become aware of, Oh, I'm causing these problems in my life and I need to take responsibility for this whole other half of how to judge and perceive the world. And, and which is hard to do if, if you have gotten your correct type and uh, yeah, so it's generally like a good uh, tool for fixing your life, like improving yourself and Mm. being able to take responsibility for all areas of life and become the kind of person that um, doesn't get dragged down on this like cycle of problems that you cause for yourself and don't even realize it. At the same time, I guess it could also help you figure
0: out what your strengths are right in order to go with that and pursue your strengths as opposed to working against your
1: nature yeah that well and this is an interesting thing because like the original you know myers the actual myers briggs that's what they preach um' uh, mm, okay. like start there with your strengths and because myers Briggs is used mostly for um career stuff nowadays, like in a lot of HR departments. And if you go through the Myers-Briggs books that are actually published by, you know, Myers and Briggs, they, it's a lot of stuff about career and like what are, what are the most common careers for these types and so Mm, on. Okay. So that, I mean, there is validity to that, to knowing like I'm intuitive, so I'm going to struggle. If I try to become like a construction worker, you know <laughs> or so you know so it's good it's good to know like maybe I would be better off as a teacher, maybe that's like mm. more of a natural thing for me and uh the some people have like a a both sides of this approach where it's like start with what you're strong at and then work your way down, like develop each function in order gradually. And, you know, don't worry so much about going straight to the hardest stuff. Mm. Um, but then you have other people who um, like the the place that I've learned typology from, it, they're all about like going straight down to the, the toughest stuff to deal with, just so that you don't uh, unconsciously just stay addicted to your strengths you know? Mm. So, so I don't think there's anything wrong with knowing your strengths and then playing to that because it can get you a long way in life, but you have to also at the same time be working on the weaknesses or else you might, you know, accidentally get yourself into a bind one day where it all comes crashing down.
0: Mm. That sounds really intense. It sounds like you went to like the the dojo
1: of myers briggs or something <laughs> yeah well you know it, it's interesting because technically myers briggs is like the trademark myers briggs is the very straightforward like career stuff mm, okay and yeah so and they're the you can get trained officially by the myers briggs company to administer these tests and the, you know they're kind of like aimed more at those uh hr Mm. kind of situations and then you have a lot of people on the internet <laughs> like me who teach this kind of jungian typology using a lot of the terms and it's basically Myers-Briggs but it's not like okay. traditional mainstream Myers-Briggs but Interesting. it's just e- yeah so it's just easier to call it Myers-Briggs cuz everyone knows what that means rather than like jungian functions and whatever <laughs> So, yeah, and I mean, there's so many parallels and so much of it overlaps that it, you using the same terminal, using the term Myers-Briggs doesn't seem like a big deal to me. But yeah, the place the place I've learned it from is a, they have a YouTube channel. It's called Objective Personality, mm. and they're they have like a, a unique system. So if you learn okay. stuff from them. You have to, you have to, when you learn it from anybody, there are a lot of different teachers, you have to be aware that you're learning a very specific interpretation that might not be necessarily what traditional Myers-Briggs would say, or Mm. even Jung himself would say. I think it's always good to go back to Jung's original stuff and say, is this uh, working at least, like, is this a somewhat tenable interpretation of what he wrote originally or else I feel like you can't use the same terminology, but it's like, mm. it's, it's a, it's kind of exciting because I feel like right now you have a lot of people who are, who are really trying to crack open this personality thing that Jung started. And the result of that is you have a lot of different people teaching different things, but they're all trying to dig into the same, the same source material. That's really
0: interesting. It's making me feel like I may not know myself as well as I think because there's these other, these other worlds of Myers-Briggs stuff out there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, you got to be careful because it's like the human mind wants to see patterns, right? And there's something called the Barnum effect where, and this is why like the most bland personality descriptions are basically like a horoscope because it's like, some, sometimes you can give 10 different people the same exact personality description Mm. and they'll all say, yeah, this is me because, and they call it the Barnum effect from like the, the Barnum and Bailey circus, where it's like, there's something for everyone. (laughs) So if you read a, if you read a description and it's like a bunch of basic human stuff, (laughs) of Mm. course you'll be like, yeah, this is me. And uh, so, that that's a way to get tripped up. But then also people who get super specific with their descriptions and typology, you can get a little bit, uh, you can still get tripped up and be like, Oh yeah, that is something that I do. Like that is how I act when maybe it really isn't. So that's why you've got to be able to Mm. think for yourself and ask yourself is what this person's teaching to me. Does it, does it make sense? Because, it's a, it's like so much abstract stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You've really got to be discerning. And, uh, I think skepticism is always good. Like, even though this is my, my main jam and it's what I talk about all the time, I'm still very skeptical and have to ask myself, like, is what this person is saying true at all when they're teaching Mm. about this? Like, or are, are they just seeing what they want to see? Have they just, convinced themselves that something is there. And I mean, it's telling that science hasn't, you know, the scientific community hasn't really touched it. Mm. You know? But uh, it's also because there, it's, it's so much, there's so much interpretation. I mean, even in psychology, like actual psychology, there's a lot of interpretation when you're trying to diagnose someone with like depression or something, but, Mm -hmm. but typology takes it to a whole nother level of interpretation where you're like having to listen very closely to what people are saying and like, what is, what do they actually mean when they're saying it? And are they telling me the truth or are they telling me what they want to present themselves as? So that's why it's not, really scientific cuz it's it's just so much interpretation that it's imp- mm. it's really difficult it would take a lot of work f- to get a group of people to all interpret a person the same way in these terms of typology mm. and that's just That's how really interesting happened. yeah 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 so it sounds like where
0: maybe where some of the skepticism comes from, and I don't want to oversimplify it, but it kind of, it sounds like it's, if you go on, like you mentioned earlier, if you go online, you Google a Myers-Briggs personality test, and then you find your result, and then you say, oh yeah, that's exactly like me, and then that's kind of where you stop. That's, yeah. not, really, that's not really getting into the meat of it, whereas maybe understanding these, the way the, these functions work and interact, maybe that's more where, where the magic happens.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Because well, here's the other thing: is that if you just Google Myers Briggs test, the first one that usually comes up, or one of the top five, is sixteenpersonalities dot com, mm. which is actually a Big Five test, which is scientific, but it's not the same stuff. So, mm. but they've just taken all the Myers Briggs, uh, you know, uh, terminology and the, the four letters uh, of the types and correlated it to big five stuff. And what's the and, big five stuff? All right, so a lot of times it's used, uh, the, the acronym ocean is used. So mm. there's, it, and that's on a scale. Uh, each of these things is on a scale. So that's openness to experience, which is sort of like create creativity and intellect there's conscientiousness, which is like orderliness, industriousness, extroversion, which is self-explanatory, um, agreeableness, and neuroticism. So okay, those, so this is the stuff that Peterson's always talking about. Right, exactly. UnderstandMyself.com. He has the. Yeah. Uh, he has his test, and yeah, he talks about it all the time. And it's the only scientific personality measurement. Okay. Uh, and it was funny because when you first learn about the big 5 you're like uh, this is boring like this is obvious <laughs> stupid stuff you know like but and uh, if you listen to like jordan peterson talk about the big 5 he says that he had that reaction too when he was first really? learning about it yeah and he said he like resisted it for a long time uh because it didn't seem to say much but mm. but then over time you start to realize that um these, these scores on the test may not for an individual be extremely predictive. But when you look at like the scale of all of society, Mm. it's very predictive. Like statistically, if you have certain scores, you're more likely to, you know, be a criminal or um, be an entrepreneur or, you know, XYZ. So, and that's what I think is, lacking in myers-briggs in a lot of ways that the big five has shown and why it's considered useful scientifically is that it's difficult for myers-briggs to say if you are this type your life is sort of going to go this way right um yeah or if it's like the they i mean they sort of do it with when they look at careers and they say oh all the you know priests seem to cluster as INFJs or whatever. So, Mm. um, they're like, so this, but uh, big five is much more useful in that sense. And, uh, another, you know, an, an interesting YouTube channel with a psychologist who talks about the big five a lot is Dr. Todd Grande. And he constantly brings up the big five. He does a lot of cool videos, like talking about different, like, uh, public figures, different criminals, different um, people that you would recognize from the news. And Mm. he'll like kind of say what he thinks is going on in terms of personality type on the big five scale to explain their behavior. Um, And Once you get get into it that way, it becomes really interesting and you see the validity of it. And uh, Mm. I think, I think for people who are into myers-briggs they should also get into big five and like learn to respect it because i think a lot of people in myers-briggs kind of poo-poo big five because it's not (laughs) as it's not as mystical you know interesting yeah yeah cold hard facts or something yeah and it's um i mean and it is it doesn't have any uh glitter to it Mm -hmm. you know it's it doesn't seem instantly as fun, you know?
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm going to have to learn more about that because I never knew anything about the big five until I started listening to some of Peterson's talks at the gym. And he mentions a lot about it. And so I'm glad that you, you kind of directed me towards that because I actually didn't know that that's where, I didn't really understand where that was coming from. So that's really interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's what's interesting is his like if you look at his lectures online, they talk about or the, of his lecture is like personality. So uh-huh. that's like the topic. So a lot of it does have to do with Big Five. Interestingly, even though Peterson is a big Carl Jung guy, he talks about him like all the time. He never talks about psychological types. And yeah. his, you know, and he's talked about how Myers Briggs isn't you know valid. And that's like, mm. a, that's a glaring omission to me that he never talks about psychological types, but, but interesting. It, yeah. Um, I'd be interested to, uh, ask him that if I ever meet him one day, but we'll have to have him on the next podcast, talk to him about yeah, it. Exactly. exactly <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so did you study psychology in school or is this just something that you picked up and got interested in? No, it's just something I got interested in. I took a single psychology class in okay. college, but it was like psychology of the brain. So it was a lot of stuff. Like if you get brain damage, <laughs> like in this specific part, what is this effect? Mm. Um, yeah. So actually I studied theater when I was in, in college. Okay. Yeah. So that it's like weird. Cause I come I come at this whole thing from the entertainment side. Yeah, but but still, like I like to learn a lot about it and and teach, and uh, so that's like driven in a weird way, unexpected way, like my quest to understand all this.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't cause I didn't know that you studied theater, but I, I mean, obviously, it makes sense given your <laughs> YouTube videos are hilarious. So you probably honed a little bit of that while you are studying theater.
1: But it's <laughs> yeah. kinda cool that
0: those two things come together cause you, you're able to serve this niche really well because you have that interest in Myers-Briggs and then you also have obvious, that obvious theatrical talent.
1: Yeah, and it's it's funny cause it's not a straight line either. Like from studying theater to eventually doing YouTube, like it was kind of a long meandering path. Cause if you had told me even four years ago even three and a half years ago that I would be a YouTuber, I would have laughed at you. So. Mm, really? Yeah. So it's like, you know, you get, you take, you know, strange, unexpected roads to get where you're supposed to go. So what did you do in the
0: beginning? Cause I think I saw a video where you, or in one of your podcasts, you mentioned that your YouTube channel grew kind of a lot bigger than you anticipated. So what what did that journey look like? Where did you, how did you get that started and how long did it take for it to start getting
1: traction? Yeah, so when I started just posting the more introspective, like, let me just talk about how I'm feeling today kind of videos, uh-huh. uh, that, you know, I, I, I was fairly regular with it, like, once a week sometimes once every two weeks but at the beginning i didn't the channel is still very small i forget exactly how many subscribers i have maybe 50 maybe 100 in the first three months which is actually pretty good for someone starting from zero and right. then i started dating someone and, uh, basically forgot about YouTube because it's really happens. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I feel like that's something all, all guys can relate to in a way. Um, you, it's also easy to walk away from something when you're not like madly successful, you know? Right. Oh yeah. And it was just a hobby. Like you don't make money off of it when your channel's that small. And, um, I was basically off of YouTube for nine months, like the whole duration of that relationship. Wow. Yeah. And then as it was ending, I got back to like, I got to talk about my feelings on YouTube again. (laughs) And what I had noticed though, like the whole time I was away from YouTube, I would check in periodically and I'm like, I'm still gaining subscribers. Like I think I gained 50 in the nine months that I was off YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. even though that's like, nothing. I still was like, huh, people care enough. Like people are seeing my stuff even though I'm not producing new stuff and are still subscribing. So maybe there's something here. And when I came back to YouTube, that was when I started to make the shift to I want to see if I can make this successful. And I think the way to do that is to teach. Like, cause you know, to, to, it's, you can't be successful on YouTube starting from scratch and just talking about your day or doing daily vlogging or whatever. Like you've got yeah. to, you've got to offer something of value to the audience. And um, even like, if you look at, uh, did you ever watch Casey Neistat when he was doing his daily vlog a few years ago? No, I know. I know you're talking about though. I've never, yeah. I didn't watch those. Yeah, like he. I think his his popularity made a whole generation of YouTubers think that they could just go and film about film their day or talk about their uh-huh. day and get people to watch. But the thing of that, and the thing of value that Casey Neistat offered is that he was already like an excellent filmmaker, and right. he was offering like top notch entertainment for YouTube. Yeah. And most people can't do that. (laughs) Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you have to figure out something else. Like, what can I teach people? Um, How, like, what can I do that's actually entertaining for people? Um, So you have to, like, realistically set your sights on that, the value you can offer. So that's what I started to do. And that's when my channel started to, you know, quote, unquote, blow up for what it had been doing. So I went from, like, 200 subscribers to uh a thousand pretty quickly and then it just kept adding about i don't know three thousand one between two and three thousand a month after that so it was like pretty steady growth and uh but i still felt like i was flatlining and then about a year after that was when i started to do the comedy videos and i was at about 50 40 or fifty thousand when i started that and it became a precipitous growth you know mm, exponential mm-hmm. growth where i was getting 15 20 25, 000 new subscribers a month so um and that's i think as a youtuber you just have to be constantly thinking about how do i get how do I get more eyes on this? Like, how do I get more people interested? How, what are the trends that I can follow? What Mm. is, you know, what is going to work? And a lot of it is luck because you don't always know. And even if you do know a lot of it's luck because the algorithm has to smile on you (laughs) and um, (laughs) start showing your stuff around. So, uh, and at every step of the way, it's taken me by surprise that it's been successful. So um, I'm just you know, grateful for it and keep on doing it. And I'm like, I continually am trying to think about what's the next thing I can do. Because I, I, I'm surprised that doing 16 personalities sketches has been as popular as it has been for almost yeah. a year now. And I can't imagine it will last forever. So now, now I need to figure out you know, what's next, where do I go? And, uh, that's just what being a YouTuber is like, you've got to ride the waves. So. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool, man. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's something, what, what is, what is it that, that you do in your day to day? Oh,
0: so I'm a, I'm a content creator, uh, professionally. So yeah. So I work in I work in San Francisco and I just work basically work with uh, tech companies and help them grow their business and stuff. But yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a YouTuber <laughs> nor do okay. I see myself being a YouTuber anytime soon. But I know that there's a lot of people. I just, I, I find like the dealing with the video to be really complicated. So I kind of try to stay away from it, but you know, n- yeah. you never know someday. Right now I'm uh, growing my own personal brand basically, which is what this podcast is a part of. So yeah. And we have, we have a couple other people involved with the podcast. Sometimes I'll have a couple co-hosts on and, Interview people together, but that's kind of what this project's about,
1: yeah. Well, in gen- and in general, you're dealing with the same stuff as like, how do I get attention? Like, how do I get yeah. eyes on this? How do you know what is it that's and a lot of it's boring stuff like search terms, <laughs> <you know? laughs> so yeah. it's it can be so. I don't know if you have this equivalent, but in YouTube, it can be really frustrating because content doesn't matter as much as a good thumbnail and title mm. so you have to just be you have to get people to want to click yeah exactly
0: but it seems like you do a pretty good job of that like i haven't noticed any of your your thumbnail and titles being super
1: clickbaity <laughs> yeah i try not to uh go too far into that because i think it's weird because depending on your audience they can also be too smart for it and they'll be able mm. they can tell you're click baiting them and uh I feel like the Myers Briggs audience um, doesn't doesn't fall for it as much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've done a I've done a little bit of a clickbaity title. I did one video that did pretty. I was shocked that it did as well as it did but I titled it, I lost her forever. Like this very dramatic (laughs) title. People are like, oh my gosh, what happened? (laughs) And it was just me telling a story about like going to the airport and chatting with this girl and her walking away before I could like ask her for her number. You know, like Mm -hmm. it was Mm -hmm. like a very mundane kind of story, but I was able to get the clicks with a super dramatic title. And And an audience will forgive you for tricking them a little bit if you're then able to give them something good anyway, even if it's not what sure. they expected, you know? So, yeah. so that's the, that's the dance you've got to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's really funny though. I, but I think, I think that there's a difference between that. I mean, I don't see that as being personally, I wouldn't find that to be uh, like annoying or anything, but yeah. then you, you get like this, like, for example, we were talking about Peterson earlier and I was, I haven't really been listening to him recently. But I was listening to a bunch of his talks, and like I said, when I was at the gym, maybe this was like a year ago. I don't even know. Time, time is weird, especially time with the, is, <laughs> yeah, <That laughs> so is with what's going back. on now. I feel yeah. like it's kind of not just flying by, but also kind of still. But with uh, yeah, what so, what some people do, and I don't think this is him. I don't know, but what some people do with his videos, for example, is they'll like be like they'll, they'll title it something like "How to How to Win the Perfect Girl," and then they'll have like a picture of a girl or something. And oh, then the, yeah. the talk's really not about that at all. And that's the kind of thing where I'm like, again, I forgive it because I forgive Jordan Peterson because it's Jordan Peterson tonight, But that's the kind of thing where I'm more like, okay, this is an obvious angle they're playing at, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean because uh, I've seen those too, because there's a lot of people out there who chop up his, his uh, yeah. university lectures and then put mm-hmm. highlights. But yeah, they'll do stuff like that where it's like, yeah, really bombastic titles. <laughs> And it has nothing to do, like most of the lecture is about like, you know, being high in uh, conscientiousness or something, but then he'll have, he'll have one line about like, you know, when that's why women go for these kind of men. And it's (laughs) like, so that's how they have, you know, that's how they just, and you'll see it in the comments too, where people like he literally didn't say any of that. (laughs) Like, yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's funny. Yeah. But people still will give it a thumbs up because it's Jordan Peterson, Dispensing some wisdom, even if it's not what you thought you were going to get, but it, that is kind of egregious in terms of clickbaiting. Sure, yeah.
0: So I have one one more question for you because this, this yeah. talk is flown by faster than I thought. We're already almost at noon, but uh, one yeah. w- one thing I noticed in your uh, one of your podcasts is you were talking about you were talking about faith, and I think it was yeah. mm, music or something, but. Uh, is you mentioned how, when you were younger, you, you kind of used to feel like a little bad for listening to anything that wasn't Christian music. Like you're talking about how, (laughs) like, should I listen to Coldplay or something like that? (laughs) Yeah. So is that something that is, is faith something that's still part of your life today? Or is that something that's kind of more in the past?
1: It's like, to the degree that it was an, an everyday part of life it's more of the past but it's like also well it's also like how do you define it and i think just just the other day i was walking around you know taking a a uh, coveted <laughs> walk outside like not cooped <laughs> up in the apartment and you be uh, careful with those <laughs> yeah i know you know someone's coming down the sidewalk at you and you're like do i need to jump in the street now like <laughs> So, but I was just, you know, I I just had this, I just felt really great. Like, you know, some days you're just outside, you feel like the best you felt in years. And that's how I was feeling. And it was just, it was just this feeling of oneness and like, I am part of existence. Like, and it's all connected and like everything's all right. And there's more to it than just the physical plane and it was like, an, and and you know, it's, it's just feelings, like maybe it doesn't mean anything. But to me, there is mm. sort of like that faith element of, I know that there is something else. There's a, like, this is just a small part of the puzzle and there's more to it. And I don't know if I'll ever figure it out or if I'm ever supposed to. But I think that's a kind of faith because even though I'm, even though it's like not so much, um a religious kind of faith and believing certain dogmas there is, there is definitely an underpinning of faith in my life. And I still, and it's not like I've totally booted religion to the curb either. I'm, I'm sort of like trying to process that, you know, having grown up in Christianity and I still Mm. value Christianity for its traditions and its cultural uh, significance, but I haven't, been able to figure out how to integrate it in a meaningful way into my life without feeling like I'm being a phony or, mm. you know, something like that. So that's a, uh, that's, that's the thing that I'm, st- I'm not necessarily even struggling with it. Cause I don't, it's not like I wrestle with that kind of religious faith. I just, I'm sort of letting it lay there for a while and let the pieces fall into place in their own time because i don't necessarily feel a rush to figure it out Mm, and mm -hmm. uh yeah so i'm not like i don't think that i'm i don't want to slam down a lever at any time and say (laughs) yep this is what i believe this is what i don't believe you know it's sort of just like um i'm I have the luxury of (laughs) taking my time with it. So yeah. What, what perspective do you come from when it comes to faith and religion?
0: Oh, that's a good question. I mean, it's something I don't, I'm, I don't talk about a ton, although I'm trying, I'm trying to, I think, try to work it in here and there a little more just to sort of explore it more in my, uh, maybe like my content and stuff, but I actually, I'm, so I grew up Roman Catholic, so I'm from Mm -hmm. a very Roman Catholic family. So it's, uh, it's part of, a it's a part of our tradition. If you think about it, like it's like our part of our family history, even in America, you know, cause right. Catholicism has a very unique history in America. So I think for me, it's a little bit, it's not, uh, it's not something that I need to wrestle with per se. It's more like a part of my identity. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's more kind of like, it's something that's just there. And even if I didn't want it to be, it would still be there. So,
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. It's like, it's, it's not something that you can, uh, like, change around. Yeah. It's something that's... It's it's the same thing as... um, I mean, (laughs) it's weird, but in some ways it's like being American or something. It's like when you were brought up in a certain faith, your mind is, you know, stamped with a lot of those... A lot of aspects of the religion, Mm -hmm. and you just can't Mm -hmm. ever... Like, you can't fully leave it behind. And sometimes that's like a bad thing. Like, some, like sometimes you do have to like go to therapy to kind of <laughs> unprogram, you know, deprogram some of the stuff I feel like, uh, d- depending on what, you know, what you were, how you were raised in it. Mm-hmm. But then some of it's like neutral. It's just like the different ways you look at things, the different traditions you have, um, you might not even realize that it was affected by the religion, so. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah.
0: I have some friends because I know just because Catholicism can be such a cultural thing. I have some friends who like from Europe or things like that, who kind of say, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm sort of, I grew up with, you know, Catholic or whatever, but I don't really think I'm Catholic now. Like the way I like, I don't really follow it. Right. So for, yeah. I, I guess it kind of ties in with that thing of not really wanting to like slam the lever down. Uh, and also I like, guess right. Peterson talks about religion that way a little bit. Like he doesn't feel like he's at the point where he can say he's, definitely a Christian, you know, cause I yeah. feel like, I did you listen to that talk where he's, I think it's, um, something about, do I believe in God or something like that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, uh, a great one.
0: So I, I would say my response to that would be just cause of the way I feel about or feel about and think about religion would be that I, I kind of take a different angle than him where I don't really feel like you need to be like the ideal Christian. That way he says the way he talks about it in order yeah. to say in order to say you're christian i feel like you can say you're christian and you can try to live that way because you don't want to be a hypocrite because hypocrite like being a hypocrite is one of the worst things you can be especially right now in the world but you don't you can but basically if you but then like he says if you say you're something then you do kind of have to follow through with that so i think that does look different for different people but i think that's something i try to do where it's like if i want to say that i'm this thing then I should follow through with that to like the best of my ability. So I, I guess, but you know, it's hard to do. It's kind of like what Gandhi said: if he, if he ever knew some, if he ever knew a Christian who acted like a Christian, he he would be Christian, you know. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and even just like the more basic question of "Do you believe in God?" it like can be very trite, and mm. and pe- people will say, "Oh yeah, I believe in God," but it's like does that mean anything to you? Or does like, what does that even, (laughs) what does that even mean? And uh, I think, and it's also like a really imprecise question, because I could say like, if I were to say, yes, I believe in God, that would mean like different things to a bunch of different people. Oh yeah, totally. And And none of them might actually think what I think when I say, yes, I believe in God, you know, so. yeah. That's really interesting, man. So where can, where can my audience find you online? Well, if you go to YouTube and you type in Frank James or just type in 16 personalities, my face will be all over the place. <laughs> uh, and you can also follow me on Instagram. My handle is at your boy FJ and uh i've also got a facebook that i'm starting up but i i'm not i don't have enough followers yet to uh Mm. have a username on that so um (laughs) but if you if you go to my youtube there's all the relevant links there i I have a podcast you can go to that uh i have uh what else do i have if it's on there i don't know so (laughs) but the youtube is the big one so yeah Yeah, very cool. Oh, you know, I have one more question. It's kind of random. Oh, yeah. Do
0: you, do you have a favorite personality type besides INFJ? Because I, I, yeah. I,
1: I'm assuming INFJ is your favorite. It may not be, but I, Well, I think that once you, when you're in typology, you uh, begin your, your type becomes like your least favorite type. You're like, <laughs> I hate this type, you know, so I hate that guy. Uh, yeah, basically. Um, I would say like the the introvert introverted thinkers, I think are my favorite. So that's like the INTP and mm. the ISTP Pro- if I had to pick one ISTP would probably be it. That's like the stereotype of the ISTP is like the lone cowboy, like Clint uh. Eastwood or like uh Ron Swanson from parks and rec. Like the person okay. who's kind of just like, um, you know, the, the introvert who just kind of wants to be left alone and they do the, they do it their own way. Um, and they're like, kind of no nonsense that I think they're my favorite. They're also like probably the smartest type. So, yeah. Very
0: cool. Well, you, you just made any, a bunch of ISTPs out there happy. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love you guys.
0: <laughs> awesome, man. Thank you so much for joining us today. So I guess uh, we'll just call it a wrap with that, huh? Great. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been awesome. Okay. Take care out there. Stay safe on your, uh, your walks,
1: you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you too. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Bye.